That was awesome. Praise God for that. We thank God for that. I especially thank God for uh, that violin. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? It really does. You know, homecomings are, are meant to be special. It's an ordinary worship service. We're going to do the same thing we do every Sunday in here, regardless of what the occasion is, but, but it is a special day to us. This is homecoming, and we've already told you that our church was started in 1916, so now we're 101 years old. Last year was our big centennial, the 100 years, and there's a lot that goes into it, and we hope the weather holds off and we can stick around today and just kind of hang out and have, have lunch and have a good time together. What homecoming is about is a, is a coming home. And a coming home means that you're to remember kind of where you came from. And I know you know that phrase, remember where you came from, but what, what the phrase remember where you came from so much doesn't necessarily mean where you came from, listen to me, but rather who you came from. Places are places. And as much as we may say the place has a lot of meaning to us, it's really the people of the place that has a lot of meaning to us. And homecomings are meant to kind of stir that up in our hearts and in our memories that we're to remember that there's a lot, there's a lot that God has used to bring us to this place. Since 2003, this has been my church home, 14 years now that I've loved being here. God has grown me so much from age 23 to 37, and I'm so thankful for this place. But what I mean when I say that really is I'm so thankful for you all. And there's a lot of people that aren't here today who've played a huge role in my life, and a lot of people that are, are here today that have, and I hope that it's the same for you. For some of you all, you've been in this church for a long time, and you can remember back to people many, many years ago. There are people that baptized you and taught you and, and spoke the Word of God into your life. There are people who have called you out and rebuked you and reproved you, and it's been for your good, and you're thankful for that, and God has truly brought you all these years to where you're at, to where you're at now, and that, that's what homecoming is. I want to remind you all that in 1916, there was one church in Fairdale, Mount Holly United Methodist Church, just right up the road here. It was the first church in Fairdale. It was the only church in Fairdale, uh, and it was started many years before us. And then some Baptists came in and said, well, we want to start a Baptist church here too. So the second church to be formed and established here in Fairdale, led by God, was this church, the first Baptist church of Fairdale. In case you didn't know, first in the title has nothing to do with rank. Uh, I'm just as fine to say that we're the last or the worst church in Fairdale, to be honest with you all. It just means that we were the first one. That's all it means. Certainly no rank, no pride there, I hope. We're the first Baptist church in Fairdale. And in 1916, with a pastor and just a handful of believers, they said we want to start preaching the word here. And that's been going on for 101 years. A lot's changed since then, hasn't it? They didn't meet in this room. They didn't have a parking lot like that. Uh, a lot of different people, a lot of different deacons. A lot, a lot has changed in 101 years. But according to all the records and all the minutes that were kept, you know what hasn't changed? Our message. Our message has not changed. Now, I'll be honest. Over 101 years, we have often failed to represent that message the way we ought to. We've often failed to reflect the faithful God that God is of the word. And for that, we are humbled and broken. We repent. We ask God to do better than us through us here in the community. But with that said, the message has not changed. Jesus changes lives. 
And a homecoming is a remembering that he's changed our lives and he's used this church and the people of this church to bring us to this point. And we thank God for that. May today truly be worshiped to him. Well, it wasn't necessarily so much through Fairdale, but one person that God has used to really change my life is, is our guest pre- preacher today, Pastor Philip Corbin. When I graduated high school in 1998, I traveled far away from Charlotte, North Carolina to South Georgia to start college. And one of the very first friends I made, made my freshman year of college was Philip Corbin. We ended up in a golf class somehow uh, the first semester of college in South Georgia. And it has turned out now... 20 years later to have been such a blessing. We've known each other for a long time. We went to seminary together here and kind of reconnected, and I thank God for him. Philip has a wife named Morgan. They have four children, Jotham, Rhea, Jude, and Lily. Uh, and we thank God for them. We're glad that they are back here. Uh, Philip served in our church from 2003 to 2007. If you were here then, then you certainly remember them. I got called into the ministry in 1999, and Philip, my sophomore year of college, and Philip was already called into the ministry, and God used him in a big way to help me understand what it means to be 19 and immature, and yet try to follow God's calling. God, God used Philip to mature me. And I brought this out. We don't really need these anymore because we have the internet. But this is called a Strong's Concordance. You can look up every single word in the Bible, and it will tell you every single place in the Bible where it is. You see how thick it is? These are awesome to preachers. Any word you want to look up is right here. In 1999, I didn't know anything about the Bible, but I wanted to be used by God. And that brother right there, Philip Corbin, bought this for me. And right here, still in the front, here's what it says. He wrote this in 1999. It says, Josh, use this to build God's kingdom. You are a great friend, and I know that we will spend eternity singing praises. Keep up the intensity in Christ, Phil. 20 years ago, this brother pushed me towards living for Jesus. And now here, 20 years later, at the homecoming of First Baptist Fairdale, we're still together and still doing it. May God bless Philip today as he comes and preaches. you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we'll be this morning. And as you turn there, I just want you to ponder in your hearts for a moment and just ask this question inside your soul, what grace has God given you? Just think about the many areas and the many different places or the people in your life that God has graced you with. We thank God for the grace of First Baptist Ferdo. We love this place. My wife and I have fond, fond memories here. So many, Bill and Jeannie and the, the Ramies. It's good to see y'all again. It's good to see everybody here. Miss Janet, where did she run off to? Miss Janet hasn't aged one bit. There's, where is she? In the back. She ain't changed one bit. It's, it's good to see everybody here once again. Just think about the grace of God in your life. I, I think about Josh. As Josh just shared, we, we first met at Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College. It's smaller than it sounds. 
And we, we did have golf class together, and, and just the grace of us meeting together, we, I praise God for him. And we can tell stories after church about his college days when he dyed his hair electric blue. Not just blue, electric blue, and he bought a BMX bike and thought he was going to reach the skater kids for Christ. Um, and so he ended up at Fairdale. It's kind of the same similar ministry objective that he's had. I appreciate Val. I, I, we, we love Val to death. Um, the reason I love Val personally is because when I was at ABAC, every girl would come up to me and say, you got to hook me up with your friend Josh. you got to hook me up with him. And I remember one girl came up to me and said, you got to hook me up with Josh. And I kind of laughed at her. And she goes, why are you laughing at me? And I said, wait, well, you're not his type. And she goes, what do you mean I'm not his type? And I said, well, you don't love Jesus enough. And that just didn't go over very well. That was, you know, the 19-year-old immaturity that Josh mentioned earlier. But the reason that I love Val is because the roles were reversed and usually ladies jumped after Josh and now Josh is jumping after Val and I thought that was the greatest thing ever because she pretended like she didn't really like the guy and uh, so I knew that she was the one probably before he even knew that she was the one do you see him cowering down here in the front row reading his bible acting like he's more holy than all of us in here but I, I, I do praise God. And it says in the bulletin, I'm a doctoral student. And the reason I'm a doctoral student is because I'm not on near the level of Josh Green. I remember when we went to seminary together, we, we had systematic theology together. Dr. Steve Wellam, some of you may have had him or know him. And we would sit beside each other, and, and Dr. Wellam would say a word or a phrase, and I'd have to slip him a note and say, what does this word mean? Because I have no idea. And I'd slide it over to him, and he'd give me the definition and slide it back. Well, the next day, he said the same word, and I forgot it again. So I slipped the same note back over and said, what does that word mean? And he looks at me and goes, I told you this yesterday. you like... Well, Josh, I'm not on your level yet, buddy. You got to help me out. But we, we think about the grace of God. So, so what, what grace has God given you? We have friends, we have places of church and places of fellowship that we have. What grace has God given you? Well, well this month as your pastor has probably wisely taught you and wisely been leading you. It's the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation on October 15th of 15, excuse me, October 31st of 1517 was the time that Dr. Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis on the door at Wittenberg, and because of that, it sparked the Protestant Reformation, and it sparked out of that what is called the five solas. And again, I'm just repeating what your pastor's probably already told you many times. And so what I want to focus on is one of those solas, sola gratia, which is the Latin phrase that means grace alone. What about Grace. What areas in your life that has God graced you? So let's look at Philippians, Ephesians, excuse me, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And when you find your place, let's stand to honor the reading of the Holy Word of God. If you are able to stand, please stand. I don't ask you to stand to sort of kind of hyper-liturgize or hyper-spiritualize. But this is the Word of God. If there's anything that we need in our churches and in our country and in our very homes is to revere and love and honor the very Word of God. So please follow along as I read out loud. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen and amen. Let's pray to honor the reading of the holy word of God. Father, this is your word. It is breathed out by the very spirit of God, and so we hear it as if Jesus is reading it to us right now. It is perfect. It is from you. It is infallible, meaning it will never fail. It is inerrant, meaning it contains no error. But it is a word that we need, a word that must fill our souls and change our lives. Oh, God, bless First Baptist Faraday. Bless Josh. Bless his family. Bless and keep them and fill us with your grace. May nobody walk out of this room not marveling that God has cast his grace through us. And so please, fill me with your spirit that my words will be your words. And if there's anything that I preach that's not in line with the truth and the meaning of this text, may it be forgotten. But oh God, We need to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. One of the truths that I learned from here is when Josh Powell, anybody remember Pastor Josh Powell was here, that if a, if a preacher cries from the pulpit, he can't use a tissue, he just wipes it on his sleeve. So I'm about to wipe it on my sleeve, all right? So don't, don't be offended. Years ago, when I, when I was in seminary, I had Dr. Donald S. Whitney, just one of the most incredible professors I ever had, and I was sitting in one of his classes, and he, he did this thing in class. I'm sitting in the desk, and on behind him is this whiteboard, and he took out a whiteboard marker, and he began to just draw dots upon the whiteboard. And as he kept drawing the dots, he started to notice that the dots were making a picture of a world map. And you notice that the Americas... And Canada had a lot of dots, and Southern Africa had a lot of dots. But when you got to the Middle East and Europe and the Asia areas, you notice that the dots were kind of few. And after he drew these dots upon this whiteboard, he he turned to us and he said, every one of these dots represent believers. And he looks at the map and he goes, why were you born in America where you've had the abundant of access to hear the good news of Christ 
And why weren't you born in Indonesia or India or Maldives or Pakistan or Bangladesh? And he put it upon the board. And I remember just sitting there in the class being perplexed and kind of dumbfounded and also just kind of overwhelmed. Because the question becomes is why? What answer can we give? Did, did somebody here, when you were born, say, hey, God, you know what? I want to be born in Fairdale. You know, that's, that's where I want to be born. So, um, God, can you, can you just work it out? Because that's the way I want to do it. Anybody, anybody choose that? Did, did anybody choose to hear the gospel of Christ? Let, let's just do a quick, I know we're Baptists, so we're going to raise hands. Is that all right? <laughs> Josh raised his hands earlier when he sang, so we're going to do it. Okay, here we go. Right? How many of you heard the gospel from maybe a grandparent, a parent or a grandparent? Raise your hand. Raise them up high. Raise them how many heard it maybe at a church here, Fairdale, anybody come to Christ from here? So, so most of us are about parents and grandparents. Did you choose to be born in that family? Did you choose to have your particular parents or grandparents or that particular person that invested in you and loved you enough to open this Bible and share the wonderful news that we just sung this morning? What, what, what cancer can you give? Why is it that you are standing here being able to sing and pour out your hearts about the grace upon grace upon your life? What, what answer can you give? Well, the only answer that we can give, the only word that the Bible gives us is grace. It's a word that we can't fathom. It's a word that we sometimes can't understand. Or even more important, it's a word that we can't even grasp. Why would God shower his grace upon us? We can't give an answer. It's just who he is. And we praise him for it, and we thank him for it. So what I want to do, I want to dive deeply into grace. I want us just to kind of look deeply in this passage and just let it fill our souls. And so I got four points. Let me give them to you real quickly, and you can kind of fill in the blanks that you go. Number one, grace is undeserved. Number two, grace is unchanging. Number three, grace is unending. And number four, grace is unmerited. So undeserved, unchanging, unending, unmerited. So number one, grace is undeserved. This is verses one to three. We gotta eat after this, so we're, we're not gonna go back and read them, but kinda take your eyes, Scan back to the passage, just kind of look at verse one, two, three, and we see a keyword right there in the beginning. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It gives you the clarity of our default condition that all of us are born spiritually dead to God. And so the question kind of comes up, if this is the key word, then what does dead mean? Well, let me give you three things that dead means. Number one, dead means that you are under condemnation. Dead means that you are under condemnation. Again, back in first one, it says you are dead in the trespasses and sins. Now, the word trespass here is a legal term. It means that there was a law or a standard, and it was violated. For, for example, when, when I was growing up, my brother, he was seven years older than I was. I remember when I was eight years old, he was 15 years old. He got arrested, and the cops had to call our house to come pick up my brother, and my parents, you know, they, they raised us in church. They raised us right, and so they took us to go pick up my brother from the police officer, and this is what my brother did. He decided to go fishing on private property, and when we got him back, my parents said, why would you go to that area and go fishing? He said, Dad, I didn't know it was private 
property. And he said, son, there was a fence that you had to climb and signs that said, do not trespass. But he tried to pretend, I didn't know it was private. Ryan, that's his name, by the way. Ryan, you jumped a fence. You crossed over the side to go fishing. Of course, you broke the law. He told me later, by the way, he said, every time I cast the line into the water, I caught a fish. So I was like, of course you did. It was a private pond. And so we're, we're, we're riding in there, and we know that with the relation to God, that God has put up a fence. God has put up a sign. He says, do not trespass. And guess what everybody in this room and everybody in fair to do? Go right over it. We jump over it. We choose this. We are under condemnation. We are dead in our sins. But number two, what does dead mean? Dead means that we are under a slave master. Look look back at verse two. It says, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the work of the sons of disobedience. So he says there's two slave masters. One, we are following the course of this world. And secondly, we're following the prince of the power of the air. We see our three enemies. In verse one, we see the sin inside of us. We choose to trespass. Verse two, then we see we follow the world. We follow this fallen system. And third, it says we follow the prince of the power of the air. We follow the devil. We carry out his desires. And so unbeliever here this morning, we're so glad you're here. You're not here by accident. You're not here because you just kind of stumbled in for homecoming. You're here because God the Father wanted you to hear this glorious truth that you can be saved, but understand your default condition. You are under a slave master, and that slave master is the devil. You carry out his desires, and this is not an easy truth to hear. Let's just try it out. Just go for a walk and just start telling people on the sidewalk who are not believers, hey, you're under the devil and see how good it goes for you. But it's true. This is our default condition. The devil rules our hearts. When we left Faradell in 2007, the reason that we left is because we went to India on the mission field and God just kind of called us over to serve there, and we, we served in Jharkhand, India. Jharkhand um, is in the middle of nowhere. It's out in the tribes of India. It's 30 million people. They were 97% lost, and there was um, two missionaries there, me and my wife. That was it, and we had 30 million people, and so we just grabbed some local pastors and just began to invest in them and teach them and train them, and I remember traveling with one of the pastors. We were going to this particular village, and we were driving through a region, and in the distance, there was a mountain of over there, and kind of like, you know how Mount Rushmore, they carved the images of our forefathers. This particular mountain, they carved an image of Shiva, who is an Indian pagan god, in the side of the mountain. And so we pulled over, and one of the pastors was standing there. We're looking at this mountain. We're looking at the carving of this pagan deity, and one of the pastors says to me, he says, that picture represents this area that the demonic looms over them everywhere they churn. Listen, unbeliever, that's what this passage is saying. You are under a slave master. You are under following the prince of the power of the air, that the devil is always looming over these people. Side note, you believer here, I know maybe most of you, hopefully all of you, have a family member or a friend that you pray for every day that just breaks your heart, that you know they're lost. Understand 
that they're not only lost, yes, deeply, but the demonic is over them. This is why we fall to our knees. So we beg God. But number three, so, so number one, dead means we're under condemnation. Two, dead means that we're under the slave master. But number three, dead means we are under wrath. That the wrath of God is upon us. Look back at verse three. It says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. He's describing how we are born. That we are born in sin, we're born under judgment, because we all know this. I was talking to Miss Jeannie, we're going over her grandkids and my kids and their ages. Listen, you don't have to teach a child to sin. Have y'all noticed that? My kids are good at it on their own. Like my first kid taught me that we're all born sinners. My second kid taught me that some are worse sinners than others. And my third kid, Jesus, take the wheel, what's wrong with him? Like, like my third kid, Jude, I, I love him, I love him to death. He is three, he's about to be three, he's in that terrible twos. Man, the other day, um, we, we, we have this little snack area. There's a cabinet for his lunches, you know, he goes to, to preschool, and he's got this cabinet, it's got these little snacks and goldfish, and there was Morgan, my wife here, just bought uh, uh, yogurt-covered raisins. Anybody ever had yogurt-covered raisins? Y'all been missing out if you haven't had yogurt-covered raisins in your life. And so there's yogurt-covered raisins, and he sneaks off, and I know he sneaks off because he's quiet. You know what I mean? So I know there's something up. You parents digging when I'm going down, right? There's something going on. He's quiet. And I see him tiptoeing down the hall carrying the yogurt cup and raisins. And I say, Jude, what are you doing? You're not supposed to have those. And you know what he did? He walked over to me and he laid them at my feet. And he bowed before his dad and said, oh, father dearest, I have sinned against you and against God. I therefore repent. That ain't what he did. He ran off, got into the closet ate them all real fast. I'm running him down, trying to get him out of his mouth. I, I, I should teach a parenting seminar on this, by the way. So I'm running him down. I'm, Jude, give me back those, those yogurt-covered raisins. He's finished the bag. And I said, Jude, I can't believe you. And this is what he did. Ah. <laughs> Listen, I didn't teach him to do that. He did that on his own. So y'all say a little prayer for my parenting and for my kids. We're all under the wrath of God. So listen to me, Fairdale. Listen to me, church family. You will never understand grace if you first don't understand your sin. You will never grasp grace if you don't understand your depravity, that you were condemned you were under the wrath of God. You were sinners. You were filthy. And I love how Paul says it here, dead. Like, I, I, I just kind of imagine for a moment that Paul's kind of writing this verse, and he goes to verse 1, and he goes, and you were mm, sinners. No, no, that's not good enough. And you were, what would be a good word? And you were bad people. No, 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 no. That's not good enough. And you were, I got it, dead in your sins. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say why we were still doing pretty good. 
It doesn't say why we were doing okay. It doesn't say why we were doing pretty decent things. It doesn't say why we were better than the next person, but it says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To understand Christ, we gotta understand there ain't nobody in here who deserves it. Nobody in here deserves that God showers his blessings and favor upon you. So number one, grace is undeserved. Number two, grace is unchanging. This is verses four to six. Again, I know I'm running late on time to kind of scan through the verses. And as we scan through the verses, I want you to look at the EDs, the past tense that is written in these passages, in these verses. Verse four, it says, because of the great love of which he loved us. Skip down to verse five. It says he made, again, past tense, us alive. Verse five, it says, you have been saved. Skip down to verse six. It says he's raised us up. And again, he says he's seated us. Now, again, notice the past tense. Notice what he does here. And the first three that I just read, we could kind of get, we kind of use those in our Christian vernacular. Yeah, God has loved me. God has made me alive. He saved me. Like we kind of get those. But verse six kind of throws you off. Because it says you've been raised and seated. And he's talking about being raised from the dead at the consummation, what happens at the very end, that we are all who are in Christ, who are believers, have trusted in him, at the end of time will be raised to newness of life, that we receive our new bodies and new souls in Christ. And then it says he seated us. Now, the word seated means that we have the full inheritance of Christ, that we have exactly what he wants for us, the blessings of the eternal. So, so track here. Has anybody been raised from the dead in here? Has anybody else been seated in heaven in here? We're like, well, no. Well, then why did Paul put it in the past tense? Why did he say we will be raised and we will be seated? Why did he put it in the past tense? And he does it important because every tense matters. This is important because, listen to me, Fairdale. Grace means he never gives up on you. Grace means he's never going to wipe his hands or brush you off. Grace means that once you're his, you're always his. Your status in Christ is never, ever going to change. Your position is unchanging. And so, believer, I don't know if you feel like I do. I think you do. Anybody feel like God should just give up on you? I do. Many times I feel like God should just hit the eject button. Some of you may have heard this little spoken word, this guy by the name of Propaganda. He says it this way in a poem. If you're like me, you probably think that the Father's only tolerating you. Like that one more failure and the father pushes the eject button. There's no rewind. There's only redeemed. So grab your bucket and draw from this stream. Listen, grab your bucket, church, and dive deeply into grace. Because the truth is, if we can lose grace, we would lose grace. If we can lose grace, I would have lost the grace a long time ago. Grace is so unfathomable because it is unchanging. But number three, so grace is undeserved, it's unchanging, but number three, grace is unending. Look back at verse seven again, a glorious, glorious verse. 
so that in the coming ages, he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, what is he talking about? What are, the, what are the coming ages? Well, the coming ages is not this particular age, but the next age. He's talking about the eternity. He's talking about the eternal heavens and the eternal earth, the new heaven and the new earth where we all belong. And so what he's talking about is that in the coming ages in heaven, we will receive immeasurable grace. And so listen to me, believer. If you have trusted in Christ, do you want to know why heaven has to be eternal? Why is heaven eternal? Well, one reason that heaven is eternal is it's going to take that long to shower his immeasurable grace upon you. If that doesn't fill you with awestruck wonder, nothing will. Because heaven will never be boring. Heaven will never be dull. Heaven will never be just kind of sitting up there and be an eternal choir practice. Sorry, Joe. Didn't mean to trash the choir practice. It's never going to be idle. It's going to be joyous. Why? Because it's God showering his grace upon you. Because in here we see kind of these three words kind of interchangeable here. The word charis in Greek means blessing or favor, but there's two other words that kind of, kind of relate to it. It's the word chara, meaning joy and delight, and charisma, meaning a grace gift. And so what is being put down here is that heaven is the delight in the gifts of God and his blessings forever. Or as Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher of the first great awakening said that heaven is joy's eternal increase. Do you understand the grace that you have now? And the wonder that fills you now is just a drop in the bucket to the immeasurable riches of grace that is coming. Do you fathom that? Let me bring this to your hearts today, though. Listen to me, church family. If we have the riches of heaven... If we have eternal grace, do we need worldly things? Do we need the things of this world? Do we need worldly comforts? No, in fact, Jesus warns us time and time again that it's hard for a rich man to get to heaven. Why? Because they focus on the wrong riches. Another man came to Jesus and asked him, can I follow you? And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds have the nest, but I have nowhere to lay my head. That Jesus, who is God, came down and had nothing in this world. He had no worldly wealth, but Jesus had true eternal riches. And so what does that mean for you and I today? That anything we face, whether it's illness, whether it's a loss of a job, whether it's a struggle in your life, a difficulty that you're facing, we can echo, if you have the eternal grace in your heart, the unending grace, listen, we can echo with the apostle Paul who said his grace is sufficient. And so echo that this week. You go through that difficulty or that difficult time, just say in your hearts, I have heaven, I have his grace, and therefore, today's grace is sufficient for me. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, and everybody's got their stories and their baggage and their heartaches, listen to the word of God. His grace is sufficient for this day because his grace is unending. But number four, grace is unmerited. 
Again, a familiar passage. This is verses eight through 10. I just want to walk through it, kind of slowly look at verse eight again. It says, for by grace. So, th- so this is the means. This is how it, I'm, excuse me, this is, this is the gift. This is how it came for. By grace, here's the means. You have been saved, how? Through faith. And then he gives a clarifier, verse eight, keep reading. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. In other words, the grace and the faith are gifts of God. You, you didn't do this. You didn't muster up the strength. It wasn't how good you are that you had God's grace. There's, there's no way to do that. We keep more clarifying in verse 9. Not a result of works. Why is it not a result of works? Verse 9 again. So that no one may boast. None of us have a cause to boast. None of us can pop our collar or walk around and brag and say, look how good I am. I was saved. Of course God should save me. None of us could do that. You cannot earn grace. You cannot earn salvation. Because if we can earn salvation, then Jesus didn't need to go to the cross to begin with. If we can earn our grace, we could earn our position in heaven, if we could earn our adoption, then Jesus would have to die part of the way and then we'd have to do the rest. To say that we can earn and merit grace cheapens grace. It's not like God goes halvesies on us. It's not I'll bring you this far and you gotta do the rest. And I mentioned earlier about the Reformation and Martin Luther. Martin Luther says it this way when it kind of flooded his soul, this idea of grace. He says this, we receive absolution and grace at no cost or labor on our own part, but not without cost and labor on the part of Christ. To say that we have to work for our salvation is to cheapen what Christ did on the cross. And when we cheapen the work of Christ, then we don't believe his words when he said, it is finished. You can't merit it. I read a story about a particular man when he was a little kid, his mother dragged him to church. Anybody dragged to church? Nobody? All right, great, guys. That's right. So maybe two of you. Oh, good. Okay. We're glad you're here. As, as a kid, I was dragged to the church. If the preacher, like, cleaned the windows, we had our pew. You know, we just watched him clean the windows. Like, anytime the church doors were open, we were there. My, my parents dragged me to church. And that's what this little boy, he was dragged to church. But when he was a teenager, he rebelled against his mother's teaching and rebelled against the church. He decided to become a sailor. And his particular industry was the slave trade. And not only did he participate in the slave trade, and I know there's some kids present, so I don't say this to be grotesque, but he sexually abused the slaves that he traded. He was a drunkard, he was a playboy, and on one of the ships he had a dream he had a ring on his finger. And there was a particular man on the boat that was asking him for the ring, for the ring, and he didn't want to quite give it to him. And then finally, he gave the man the ring, and the man took the ring, and he threw it into the ocean. And when the man woke up, he said, I felt that that was all the morals that my mother taught me being tossed into the ocean. 
so much so that this particular person described his life this way. My delight and habitual practice was wickedness. Well, this particular man was on a boat, and he was a familiar sailor at the time. He was seasoned, he was an expert, and there was a raging storm for days on end, and he thought, we're gonna perish in this storm. And the man in the midst of the storm prayed, Lord, have mercy on us. And when he prayed that prayer, it shocked his soul. And it shocked him deep within because he goes, I'm an atheist, I didn't even believe in God, I rejected everything that my mom had taught me. And here in the midst of the storm, I pray this prayer, Lord, have mercy on us. He goes back to the cabin and he pulls out his Bible to Luke 15. Some of you know the story, the story we call the prodigal son. Many of you are familiar with it. And in the story, there's one younger brother who goes to his father and he takes all of his inheritance and he goes and he lives this wild lifestyle and he spends it all and he ends up broken, defeated, living amongst pigs, longing to eat what the pigs had. And so the man goes, you know what, I'm going to go back to my dad's house and I'm just going to ask him if I can be a hired slave at my dad's house. That's, that's what I'm going to do. And so the man goes, we know the story from Luke 15, and he gets to the edge of this road and his father sees him and his father runs out to him and he cleans him up. He puts a, a new robe on him. He puts shoes on his feet. He puts a ring upon his finger saying, this is my son. He was lost, but now he's found. And he, he, he slaughters the fattened calf and he throws a celebration for him and this particular sailor was reading that story and he said this I was no longer an atheist I was sincerely touched with a sense of undeserved mercy in being brought through so many dangers I was now a new man this particular man's name was John Newton, and he wrote a song probably everybody in here knows, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? Wretch like me. Do you have this amazing grace inside your soul? Do you experience this grace? Do you walk in this grace? Do you marvel at this grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. There's, there's no other word that I can give. I wish, I wish there was a deeper word. We can't fathom your grace, but we can dive deeper into it. So first and foremost, foremost pray for the unbeliever who hasn't experienced this grace may they turn from their sins and trust in this Christ just like John Newton the drunken sailor may they cry out and say Lord have mercy on me oh God may we be overwhelmed but I pray for First Baptist Church the believers here this morning may your grace fill their souls and enrich their lives and change their outlook, change their marriages, 
change their parenting, change the way that they work in their workplaces, change the way that their neighbors, change the way that their church members. May grace compel them and propel them to serve and sacrifice for Christ. Bless them, keep them, use them. In Jesus' name, amen. Josh.